how do we know we are going to get direction from God? How do we know how to get direction from God? What if God wants to get my attention to do something specific? How does that work? If you have a decision that you've got to make, I'm not talking about a decision where to go to lunch or, or whether or not to go to a movie, but a, a decision. You've got an opportunity to move to a new place. You're thinking about maybe joining the military, but you're not sure. You're thinking about moving to a new town. You're thinking about, should I ask this person to marry me or should I run the other way? How do we hear from God? How do we know what God would say from us? I want to talk to you about that today as we see God directing Peter and Cornelius. They're in two different places. They have two different philosophies. They normally don't even talk to each other. And God directs them to the same place where there is a connection and making that connection is the leading of God. And also, does God still lead the same way today as he did then? Because this is very distinct. And I do believe there are things here in the ways in which God directs. So the title of our message today is The Direction and Providence of God. I'll give you a definition for providence in a moment. Number two, I've got a shorter title, Divine Direction. And I believe for genuine Christians, God gives us divine direction. Now, the, Peter is traveling around Judea. The gospel has gone out of Jerusalem. It's been incredibly successful. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jewish people have become Christians. So they're Jewish Christians. There hasn't been any Gentile saved up to this point. But we were introduced to a centurion by the name of Cornelius last week. We're told that he was a man who feared God and that he, he gave alms and he helped people. And they came up as a memorial before God. And an angel appeared to him and told him to go and look for Simon Peter, who was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Now, at the same time, there needed to be another conversion. This man was seeking God. And I love that God takes a man who's seeking him and brings him about to meet someone who knows the truth. I think God still works that way today. I think you might be here today because you want to know more about God and you're finding yourself here maybe in a providential way, and I'll explain what that means in a moment, for you to be able to hear it. But on the other end of it, Peter's got some problems. Now, if you've read the Gospels, you know that Peter had a lot of problems. And God's doing work. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. But Peter has a basic misunderstanding about an Old Testament passage. In the Old Testament, when they went into the land of Canaan, do you remember that God led them out of Egypt into Canaan for judgment? They were idol worshipers and they were sacrificing their children to the god Molech. And God gave them 400 years to repent and they had not repented. And so God told them when they were going to the land, do not marry the people of Canaan. They specifically were being judged. They had idolatry. God had no problem with interracial marriages. Moses had married a woman from Ethiopia. That was an interracial marriage. God didn't have any problem with that. God, you remember, Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess. 
and Boaz is an Israeli and he marries Ruth. God doesn't have a problem with interracial marriages. The problem he had was that the Canaanites were idol worshipers and Israel served the one true living God. And God didn't want those serving the one true living God marrying idol worshipers. And we can understand that. And so God said, don't take for wives the people of the nation that you're going in to conquer. That was the restriction. Now, have you ever taken one verse from the Bible and seen it taken way too far? It ends up being saying something that it never meant to say. So here's what they took from that verse. Don't go and marry the, of the nations that you're driving out of the land. We are never supposed to talk to a Gentile. That's where they took it. From don't marry these people that are in Canaan to don't ever talk to a Gentile. And so that's where Peter was. Peter was like, I don't go into Gentiles house. They don't go into my house. This was never a restriction in the law, but it had somehow entered into Judaism and, and Peter had to have that fixed. So we find two conversions in this chapter, the conversion of Cornelius, which we're going to get to next week and the conversion of Peter today. So how does God communicate to Cornelius and Peter, get them together? And how does God let Peter know you've got a problem here? It needs to be straightened out. Now, if Peter, an apostle, needed to have something straightened out in his life and he was a Christian, is it possible that you or I have certain things that we believe that we might need to have straightened out? It's one of the reasons that I say we want to go to the Bible to find out what the Bible says so we can know what to believe instead of what a lot of people do is to go to the Bible to find evidence for what they already believe. They aren't really honestly looking for truth. They're still trying to back up what they've been taught and what you've been taught, like Peter, may be wrong. We want to know what God's word says so we can know how God wants us to live because that's where the blessing of this life comes in. So we want to pick it up in Acts chapter 17. Oh, I want to show you, first of all, that the idea of God reaching the Gentiles had always been there. It wasn't something that had just started. It was always here. In Isaiah, it gives us clearly what God had in mind that the Gentiles would receive the gospel. It starts with Israel. God brought them into the land. He gave them the land. They're going to be cultivated there. The Messiah is going to be born in Israel. Then the Messiah is going to affect Gentiles around the world. Here's what Isaiah 49, 6 says. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob and to, resort, and to restore the preserved ones in Israel? Now listen to this. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. The people of Israel are a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus was Jewish. God brought the Jewish Messiah so that we could trust in him. He did miracles when he was in Galilee. He was raised from the dead so that we could live for him. And this was God's plan all along. Now, the gospel has grown among the, the Jewish people, but they're still Jewish and God now needs to direct them. And so God does this, first of all, by giving guidance through providence. And I'll explain that in a moment. And we pick it up in verse 17 of Acts chapter 10. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold. Now, the vision he saw was a sheet coming down from heaven, had all kinds of different foods on it, kosher and unkosher. You know that ancient people that lived in Israel used to eat kosher. There were certain rules and laws that you had to follow about what you could eat. You couldn't eat bacon, which is a drag. 
You couldn't eat shrimp, which is a drag. You couldn't eat camels. I have no problem with that. So there were certain things you could eat. There were certain things you couldn't eat. Uh, people today in Israel still live kosher. They still eat kosher. Now they've added some things in. When you go to Israel, you, you, if you go into a dairy, you could go to a dairy restaurant, they don't have meat. If you go to a meat restaurant, they don't have dairy. So you can't have a cheeseburger in Israel. I think a lot of Jewish people, when they come to America, go to Shake Shack and get themselves a really delicious cheeseburger. I think that's what they do. They, they, they will stick to certain, they'll, they'll, they'll eat bacon when they're here. There's certain places, I, it's okay for us to do that. But Peter had never done that. And so God said, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, I think he thinks this is a test. I'm seeing a vision. There's unclean food here. I'm not going to eat this. And then God said, don't call unclean what I call clean. And he does this three times. Now, Peter's up on the roof and he's thinking about this. Why was this sheet? And what did it have all this food on it? And why did God say, don't call unclean what I've called clean? Then it says, the end of verse, or the middle of verse 17, behold. Now, behold is, is like a, check this out. Like a moment is amazing. We don't really have a word like behold in the English. So something amazing is going to happen here. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, who's a Gentile, and these are Gentiles, and this is a Roman city they're coming from, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood at the gate. So Peter's up in the house thinking, wonder what this means. Don't call and clean what I call clean. Behold, there's Gentiles at the gate. Why is that a behold moment? Gentiles don't show up at the gate of Jewish people's houses. They know the animosity that they hold for one another. Let me give you the Mer Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of providence. And it's woefully weak. We'll get more to it. So they give two definitions. Number one, divine guidance and care. God in providence gives us divine guidance and care. God watches out for you through providence and God guides through providence. Number two, God conceived as the power sustaining the guiding of human destiny. That is God's providence in a bigger picture. I'm going to give you a, what I think is a little bit more graspable, uh, a little bit more definition that's easier, easier to grasp. And that is that when God works in providence in your life, he moves through circumstances and brings things together in his own time and place so that you have providential moments in your life. Moments you know that God was at work. Moments that you know God wanted something specific for you. And I have many examples of God moving in providence in my life, and you probably do too, when God brought you to the right place at the right time to be able to speak to you. And we're going to see that here. Now, there's a, a very popular verse about providence in the book of, in the book of Romans, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That's providence. God causes all things to work together for the good. You're thinking about something. God brings someone into your life of the very thing that you're thinking about. God causes all things to work together for the good. Joseph understood providence. Joseph was a favored son of his father, Jacob. His brothers were jealous, sold him into slavery. He went into prison. While he was in prison, he met the king's butler and was able and, and could, could interpret dreams. 
When Pharaoh had a dream he didn't know how to interpret, then Joseph was brought out of prison to the Pharaoh. He told the Pharaoh about his dream, told him that he needed to save things for seven years to be able to be ready for seven years of famine. The Pharaoh put Joseph in charge and Joseph, the favored son in Canaan, became the second in charge in the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And that was Egypt. Now he's got his whole family with him in Egypt and, and dad dies. And the brothers start to think, Joseph's the second most powerful man in Egypt and maybe he's only been nice to us because dad was alive. Now that dad's dead, and so they go to him and they say, we remember when we were bad and we did things we shouldn't do. And here's how Joseph responds to them. And this is providence. But as for you, Joseph says, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it were this day, to save many people alive. He saw that what they meant for evil, God was allowing in providence to bring a work later on. Do you believe God works that way in your life? This is why the Bible says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. We're not rejoicing in the trials. Oh, horrible things are happening to me. This is so good. It's that we know God's at work in them. He's doing something inside of us so that even when we encounter various trials, we know that God's doing something. So this is a providence moment for them and they, and, and they see it. And God works to us through providence. Now, not only does God work through providence, God also works through his spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit when we're born again. God leads us and guides us through his spirit. And quite frankly, this is in a nebulous way. I, I wish I could clarify clearly how I'm led by the Spirit. All I can tell you is that I know that I am. From time to time, I'll say, God told me this. And when I say, God told me this, I don't mean Robert. You know, I've never heard an audible voice from God. I would like to hear one. I'd like to see an angel. I'd like to hear an audible voice from God. But I've never heard an audible voice from him. But I will say to people, God told me to come to Tucson when I was 25 years old. And we started the church when I was 25. I'm amazed people ever came. I look like Doogie Howser. I was 25, I looked 12. But I know God told me to come here. Now, God didn't say, Robert, go to Tucson. There's palm trees. God didn't do anything like that. But I knew he had called me to this place. And even when it looked like it wasn't going to happen, I still believed it was going to happen because I was believed God had spoken to me. And so I still trusted, even when I backed away and said, we're not going to go, I still believe we were going to go. And I told a friend of mine that, and we ended up coming here. And this was the guidance of the Spirit. But how does that work? Paul says, I was hindered from going into Asia. How did the hindering by the Holy Spirit hindered us from going into Asia? Then the Holy Spirit gave him a vision of a man from Macedonia, which is Europe. God stopped them from going to Asia and sent them to Europe. The Bible says that Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Think about that. Does the Holy Spirit lead you to where you might be tempted? The Holy Spirit didn't tempt him, but it drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Bible talks about people being moved by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in different ways. It's hard for us to put our hand on it. Now, this is unique in their day, and I think it's unique for a reason. I'll explain that in a moment. In verse 18, it says, And they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, these are the Gentiles at the gate, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, there are three men seeking you. 
Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, I've never gotten that exact of a direction from the Holy Spirit. I'm praying, seeking about things. I'm feeling led by the Holy Spirit. But God never says things like, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. I think God is speaking differently through the Holy Spirit here because we don't have the complete word of God yet. Now, this is really important. Why would I say that? Because Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. This is the Holy Spirit. And he's going to bring to your remembrance all the things that I say. They don't have the written word of God, the New Testament yet. We do. And so God speaks to us primarily through the Spirit, through the Word. If we aren't reading the Word, then a lot of times we're not getting direction. I get a lot of direction from what I'm reading from God's Word. And you're saying, God isn't speaking to me. The Babylon Bee had an article on that. We're going to put it up on the screen here for you. So the Babylon Bee had an article that kind of really ties into this. And it simply says this. It says, man sitting literally three feet away from the Bible Ask God to speak to him. God's given us his word. And, and we're like, oh, God, please speak to me. Now, you don't want to use the Bible like it's some kind of like, you know, magic thing. Lord, who should I marry? And you open it up and you point to it. And it says that you're to marry trust. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. Last, last service I did it, it said to marry Pharaoh. The service I did it before that, it said to marry an Assyrian. So I don't know. God doesn't give us direction through his word on who we marry, what church to go to, what town to live in, what profession to pursue. So we have to be able to seek God through prayer, prayerfully making decisions on these kind of issues. But the Bible will tell you what kind of husband you're supposed to be what kind of wife you're supposed to be, what kind of employer or employee you're supposed to be. The Bible will tell us how we're to treat one another once we're in church. Those are the kind of direction that we get for, directions we get from God. And quite frankly, they are extremely important, no less important than who you should marry. I'm certainly not saying who you should marry isn't important. So the Holy Spirit spoke to him. Listen, just a couple of verses. First of all, genuine Christians are led by the Spirit. If you're a genuine Christian, you've really, made, you've really made a commitment to Christ, you are going to be led by the Spirit. This is Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. It's one of the evidences that we have that our faith is genuine. We are being led by the Spirit. And yet putting your hand on the leading of the Spirit is so difficult. The Spirit primarily speaks through His Word. We've already talked about that. In, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is given by the inspiration God breathed. That's a connection to the Spirit. That the man of God could be thoroughly equipped for doctrine, for every good work. God's got good works for you to walk in, and His Word gives us the direction that we need to have on that. So there is this guiding of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's another way the Holy Spirit guides us that I think is very important. And that's through the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to what it says in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says, against such there is no law. And then it says a little bit later on, if we live in the Spirit, we will also walk in the Spirit. So the Spirit's going to lead you and guide you. And if you are filled with the Spirit, 
then you're not going to be mean. You're not going to lack patience. You're going to be kind. You're going to have peace. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm saying is you find yourself making a decision and all of a sudden there's no peace. You just find yourself in turmoil. I don't know that God's telling you not to do that thing, but I know it means some deeper prayer and seeking from you as to whether or not you should do it. The first time that I got married with Lisa, I was 19 years old when I got married. And I got married pretty quick, didn't think much about it. When I got married to Kathy, I was 54. I thought a lot more about marriage when I was 54 before I got married. I sought God a lot deeper about whether or not I should even get married at 54 than I did at 19. Here was my thought process at 19. She's pretty. <laughs> God, can I marry her? I, that's, that was my prayer when I saw her the first time. I'm not even lying. It was in a little wild charismatic church. I'm in the back. She's up front with her hands raised and I'm like, oh, I'm in, I'm in church. Hey, church is not a bad place to find a mate, by the way, right? It's not a bad place to find that person that you're going to marry. But maybe, you know, and I'm not saying it wasn't, it, God did what God did. God had providence going on there. But if you are feeling not peace about something, that could be God's direction. Doesn't mean you don't do it. Maybe you're feeling not, the lack of peace for some other reason, but you prayerfully make a decision. This is really important. Prayerfully make a decision. If you don't prayerfully make decisions, you get frozen. And being frozen is, is making a decision. You know, if you're like, should I, should I ask him to marry me or not? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're not asking him. And if you're frozen, you're not going to ask him. But if you prayerfully make a decision and you make that decision and you make the wrong decision, and that does happen because we don't always clearly hear from God. The problem isn't God's communication. The problem is the antenna. We're the, we don't always get it right. But if we've prayerfully made a decision then God can come in and make a correction when he needs to make a correction. And if we're listening enough to him, we'll be, God's big enough to change it, right? If you've prayerfully made a decision, instead of presumptuously making a decision. Do you see the difference? Presumption, she's pretty, I want to marry her. Prayerful, Lord, do you want me to marry her? Lord, can I marry her? Now, I had a little presumption and prayer going on in, in, in my desire to marry her. We didn't marry for a year and a half, by the way, until after that, that moment. But God's plan came about. Now, the next thing that we see here is in verse 21. It says, Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent from him, from Cornelius, and said, um, Yes, I am the one whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by an a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear uh, your words. So God needs to get a hold of Cornelius. He gets a hold of Peter by giving him a vision and speaking to him, but he gets a hold of Cornelius with an angel. Now, I've never seen an angel either. I've wanted to. Years ago, I had a friend of mine told me the other night in my room, an angel came. God had an angel appear to me. He was big and burly, had big wings. He was seven feet tall. Of course he was. He wasn't a little wimpy. Oh, I'm an angel from God. And I remember two things I remember. First of all, I didn't believe him, okay? Even at like what I was then, 16 years old, I think when he told me, I'm just a skeptical person. And when he told me I saw an angel, I'm like, yeah, right, you know? I don't know, maybe an angel did appear to him, I don't know. 
But God's never appeared to me with an angel. But that doesn't mean an angel hasn't been involved in what I'm doing. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 1.14, are they angels, not all ministering spirits sent to minister to those who have life? And they do what God, they do God's bidding. God sends them out and they do it, just like we do it. We say, well, why would God use angels? Why wouldn't God do it? I don't know, why would God not just go and get people saved? Why is God using us? God uses angels and humans to do the work God's called us to do. Jesus was strengthened by angels twice. He was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was tempted and afterwards weakened. And angels came and ministered to him, strengthened him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and sweat fell like great drops of blood from his, from his head. And afterwards, angels came and strengthened him. I wonder if you've ever been strengthened by angels. I wonder if angels have ever brought you direction. I wonder if angels have ever protected you in the, in the guardian angel kind of way. I believe that's the case for me. I can't point to anything with proven facts. But there are things that are just odd enough in my life that I go, I believe God's leading me with it. And I believe God does it today because of what God's word says. God's big enough to get to us what we really need to be able to get and understand. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, so my word uh, will be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I send it out. So God gives us direction in his word and that's first of all what we want to follow. Now, let me give you another step to what I believe really hearing from God in things like what car to buy, what house to buy, what town to live in, who to marry, things you don't find within the word of God. If you are not willing to be obedient to what you find in the scriptures, then why would God speak to you about other things? If God clearly tells you something here and you go, I don't want to do that, then when you go, Lord, am I supposed to take this job? At one point, God says, my people constantly put things in front of them that cause them to sin. Should I allow myself to be heard from them at all? So God said something to, to Peter here, which is really interesting. And it's all the way back up near the beginning. He said to him, go down. Um, uh, this is in verse 17. While Peter was wondering this vision, um, behold, men were at the gate uh, of Simon's house. Actually, it's a little bit further on. It's down at verse 20. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Well, doubting nothing. Well, you and I have doubts. And quite frankly, my doubts have led me to finding the answers of really tough things that are in the Bible. When I, when I doubt something, then God's able to bring it in. So why did he tell him to doubt nothing? Are we, is it, are we, are we involved in blind faith? Is there no evidence for Christianity? There's incredible evidence for Christianity. If you've never dove in and begin to look it up, just get evidence that demands a verdict by Sean McDowell, who, by the way, will be here for our conference this year in this next coming up year in March. But grab a hold of his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and just begin to read the evidence for Christianity because it's there. We don't have blind faith. So what did he mean, doubting nothing? He told him, get up and go down and meet them, doubting nothing. He gave him a word and said, don't doubt it. So God gives us his word and this is what we're not supposed to doubt. See, when the Bible says something like this, um, 
was it Colossians uh, 2.42, I think. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, for, uh, for, um, as Christ has forgiven us. And then you go, be kind one to another. Oh, I guess I can do that. Forgiving one another. I'm, I'm not forgiving them. They, not, not after they ignored me at church. I'm not forgiving them after they said something to somebody else. God told me to forgive them, but I'm not forgiving them. Well, now you're not doubting nothing. Now you're thinking that's not for me. And I could tell you a lot of people do that with the word of God. The Bible says this, but you say, no, I think it's this. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked and you go, eh, I can marry a non-believer. It'll be okay for me. See, you're, you're doubting God's word. And if you're gonna doubt the direction God gives you clearly in his word about how to morally live, then is he gonna give you direction in other aspects of your life when you need it? I, I'm not saying he won't, I'm just asking a question. So, so another verse, Jesus said, if you follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And so you hear that and you go, I don't wanna deny myself. But that's what Christians do. We do not just instantly gratify ourselves on every aspect. This is what I want, I want it now, I'm gonna get it now. The Bible says deny yourself. And so you go, well, that's not for me. But as the Bible clearly says it, doubting nothing, we are to do what the word of God says. And once we are doing what the word of God says, which is not too hard to do, it doesn't mean we don't fail from time to time, but we have the forgiveness of God. If you sin, you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. But you say, Lord, I want to live what you've revealed in your word. I want to do those things and I want to doubt nothing. And there's a power in that because I'll tell you what, not many people are living this way. Not many people go, I want to do what it says in the Bible to do, even if it costs me something. You don't think God sees the cost? You don't think that God honors when you say, I'm going to live this way because that's what's revealed in the word of God for me to do. That's God's will for me. And so make a commitment to live the will of God as you find it in the pages of scripture. And then when you're praying for those things that are harder to really grasp and understand, should I take this new job? Should I join the military? Should I move to this new city? We're able to find God's direction in a clearer way. Now, let me just read a couple more things to you and then we'll wrap it up. Um, verse 23 says, then he invited them in to lodge with him. Now Peter's doing what Peter's never done. The word lodge means to entertain. He doesn't invite the Gentiles in and go, there's a floor, sleep on it. He entertains them. He'd never done that before. How do we know? We'll read that in a moment. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some of the brother in Joppa accompanied him. So now we got Jewish people traveling with Gentiles to a Roman city. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. This is how out of it Cornelius is. He doesn't know anything about Christianity. He falls down and worships Peter of all people. And Peter uh, lifted him up saying, stand up, I am also a man. And as he talked with them, he went and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for Jewish men to keep company and to go into uh, to one of another nation. Notice that he quotes it correctly. Don't take wives from the other nations. But he had misread it 
to not have anything to do with Gentiles. That's not what it meant. We can see it. And he says, uh, to, have, um, to keep company with another nation. It never said don't keep company with them. It said don't marry them. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Did you notice that Peter got it? God had said, don't call unclean what I call clean, talking about food. But Peter knew God told me not to call a man unclean when he's a clean. He got it. See, God's big enough to get us the message. In fact, I think he's an expert at it. God can do it. Therefore, I came without objection. I love that too. As soon as I was sent for, I went with the Gentiles and I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, for days, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And in the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood on the door in, uh, with bright clothing. This is an angel. And we read this already earlier in this chapter and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, who is surnamed Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. And I sent, I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are present before God to hear the things commanded you by God. So they're like, okay, speak, is what they say. Then Peter opened up his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. This is the light bulb moment for Peter. God likes the Gentiles too, shocking. Who would have ever thought that? That's what Peter's saying. See, God converted Peter and Cornelius, <clears throat> but in every nation, Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So Peter says, whoever genuinely seeks God is going to be found by him, no matter what nation they are. Later on, Paul would say, we who are not a people were made a people together by God. What a powerful thing. Now, a couple of things in closing. Number one, first, be familiar with the word of God. If you're not reading the word of God regularly, then read it doesn't take that much to sit down and read it. You know, you can read the entire Bible in 70 hours. That's not a very long time. Some of you guys are like, that long? No, it's not long. It seems longer. And if you just take a few minutes a day to prioritize, I don't care if it's in the morning, noon, or night. I don't care when the best time for you to do it is, but just be reading through. Choose a book of the Bible and start reading through it. Then choose another one and start to read through it. Let God's word get inside of you. The Holy Spirit can bring it back when it needs to be done. I don't know that there is a healthy way to be a Christian without prioritizing reading the word of God in our lives. And it brings us direction because God's Holy Spirit brings back to memory the things that are here. So if we don't memorize them, if we don't know them, I mean, being here is a, is a being in a, in a church that teaches through the Bible is a good thing because here you are and God can bring these things to your memory. But prioritizing it is, is important. Number two, remember, you're walking by the spirit and the spirit leads you and guides you. And this is so nuanced that there's no really way to be able to be able to say that's the spirit or not the spirit. You just are looking for the spirit to guide you. And one of the best ways he guides you is through conviction. Jesus said, and the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I'm with another pastor on Friday and we're hanging out and he brings up the name of another pastor here in Tucson. And immediately, I am tempted to gossip. I know that shocks you, but I was immediately convicted. Immediately, the Spirit spoke to me and said, don't do that. 
don't do this. And I was good for about three minutes. <laughs> and then I gossiped. And then I had to say this later on. I'm sorry I talked about this other guy. I had to, I had to apologize because now I'm still convicted that I shouldn't have done that. But the gossip got the best of me. Let me tell you what I know. And I had to apologize for what I had done. So the Holy Spirit works in so many different ways. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit works. So look for that guidance in your life. Now, God speaks primarily through his word. But sometimes God uses providence. Sometimes God uses angels. Sometimes God uses other people who will come to you and speak to you something that you know you need to hear. Sometimes you show up in church and you think, I'm not going to get anything out of this. And suddenly God is speaking to you in a tremendous way. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be able to look here at this chapter of the conversion of the Gentiles. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to be able to hear from you, be directed by you and led by you. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.